I appreciate that Ryan chose to say uh, nice and positive things from his remembrance of me because uh, he's been around for some of the uh, not so great things of when I was growing up. So that's a, that's a great blessing. But it, it is a blessing to be with you guys this morning. And, and this time of year is a time of year that I really appreciate uh, as I, I like to reflect on just a lot of different things. And this time in between Christmas and New Year's is a time where a lot of people are doing that. You're, you're reflecting on what's happening. A lot of people are thinking about New Year's resolutions, those types of things. And, and I looked at some statistics on New Year's resolutions just as I was preparing for the message today. And they say that 25% of people will not have their resolution continue past the first week of the year. 25%. So if you got a family of four, one of them is going to not not make it out of the first week, you know. And they also say that 25% of people who regularly make New Year's resolutions will never in their lifetime actually complete one. And so then there's the thought of, well, how many people actually do complete New Year's resolutions? And they think about 8% of people will complete a New Year's resolution. And that's not a great number or whatever, but I do enjoy looking at social media and watching people as they roll through their... uh, their things and you know maybe placing bets on how far somebody's going to get on things you know like give it a week now two weeks uh, hey you know some people you see something you're like oh, i always thought they'd try that you know you think it'll work out but uh a lot of times what i'm convinced of is that people have this expectation of how, what something should be how something should work or how something should progress and so we we carry that vision or with that belief of what we want to the process that it's going to take to do that. And with New Year's resolutions, you know, common ones are you want to spend more time with family, you want to restore friendships, weight loss, eat healthier, those types of things. Those are things that don't just happen overnight. It doesn't just happen you go to the gym one time and you all of a sudden are back to that body you had in high school or whatever, you know, that you want. Or you don't just go talk to that one person that you've had a broken relationship in one conversation, years of bitterness and years of, of, of hatred are gone. It takes time to invest in those types of things. But we have this vision of what we want to happen. And then when it doesn't happen that way, we're discouraged. And we're not able to trust that we can have that transformation of our life that we seek. And as we think about New Year's resolutions, and as we think about the new year and we think about what we're doing, a lot of times we're looking at issues in our lives, things that we think need to change. And we focus so much on those issues that we lose track of the one who can provide that transformation. As I was, as I was preparing for this message, I, I read a parable about a man who was preparing for a flood. And it's fitting with all the rain that we have. We can kind of visualize that. Maybe your street's being washed away or different things like that. He's preparing for a flood and he realizes the night before he goes to bed, the flood is coming the next day. And so he prays to God that God would, would protect him during that. And while he's there, he has a vision that God reaches down his hand and saves him. And as that man goes to sleep that night, he goes to sleep and he's comforted. He wakes up, he has that vision on his mind and he goes out and he sits on his porch waiting for God to do what he saw in his vision. And as he's sitting there, the rainwaters are coming up and and one of his neighbors drives by in a large truck and shouts out to him. He's like, hey, come on, why don't you get on my truck? We'll go to safety. We'll go to higher ground. We'll, We'll be able to get through this flood. The man calls back to him and says, well, you know, that's okay. That's fine. You go on without me. God's going to save me. So the man's kind of puzzled, but he drives off in his truck and 
The man sits there on his porch and continues to wait as the rain water keeps coming down. The water level rises. The man gets to the point where he needs to climb onto his roof. But he had this vision. God was going to save him. So he knew he was going to wait for that. So he sat there and he waited. And as he waited and waited and waited, a boat came along with other people that they were rescuing. And they called out from the boat and they threw him a rope and they said, Hey, grab a hold of this rope. We'll pull you to safety. We'll get you to where you need to be. And the man called back to him and said, Hey, no, that's fine. You go save some other people because God's going to save me. So they look puzzled and they're like, All right, whatever. If you can't help somebody, if they don't want help, so they just move on. The water continues to come down. The rains are pounding. The man's sitting there. He climbs up all the way to the highest point on his house. He's sitting on his chimney. And as he's sitting there, a helicopter flies by. And they roll down a ladder. And they get on the loudspeaker. And they're like, grab a hold of this. They give him instructions how they're going to take him off the roof of this house and save the man. But he shouts back up at him. And he says, that's fine. Go save somebody else because God's going to save me. And as he sits there, as the helicopter leaves, he sits there and the water continues to rise. And it washes him away and he drowns and he goes to heaven and as he goes to heaven, he's, he's angry, he's bitter. He's like, well, God, he was going to save me. I had this vision. He was going to reach down his hand and do that. So as he gets in and he walks before God, he talks to God and he asks him a question. He goes, how did you let me drown? You were going to save me. I had a vision. I knew you were going to help me. How'd you let that happen? God answers the man. He says, I gave you a truck. I gave you a boat. I gave you a helicopter. What else could I do to save you? The man's vision of what God was going to do got in the way of what God was trying to do with the people that were around him. He was so focused on what he expected God to do that he wasn't willing to accept what God was doing. And as we think about that, this man was looking for help. This morning we're going to look at a man who is a traveler, who is traveling towards Jerusalem, who is reflecting on who God is. And as he's doing that, he is focusing on God, not the situation around him. He's focusing on worshiping God and lifting his eyes up to God rather than on the situation around him, rather than on his trials, his worries, his anxieties and all those different things. I invite you to turn to Psalm 121. This morning, we'll read that psalm together. And as as you turn there, uh, just give you a brief background of the psalm. Psalm 121 is part of a larger section of psalms. Starting in Psalm 120 and going through Psalm 134, they're psalms of ascent or songs of ascent. And these are songs that would have been sung as people were journeying to Jerusalem. And in that process of journeying to Jerusalem, many people came from all over the nation of Israel and the extended areas. And it would have been a long journey. And as they're working through this process of getting there, they don't have iPads. They don't have stereos. They don't have all these nice things that we would have if we were on a road trip. So they would have these songs to reflect on, to prepare their hearts for them as they move towards Jerusalem. The author is not known, but it's placed here in this psalm. In this progression, Psalm 120 starts with a person surrounded by their enemies, surrounded by the Gentiles, so far from God that they're almost in despair. And Psalm 134 ends with the person in the temple, in the presence of God, worshiping God. And so it's part of this progression that's taking place, and we're towards the beginning of that journey. And as the psalmist writes towards the beginning of the journey, he's reflecting on what God has done for him. What God is providing for him in his journey and what God is doing in his life. In the first two verses of the psalm, he focuses on his own belief 
And then he takes that and gives that as a proclamation for the rest of the psalm. So I invite you to follow along as we read the psalm this morning. It says, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. For the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So what we have here is this psalm that is preparing this man for a journey. But I think in order for you to really understand that journey, you really have to understand the geography, what's around where he is. Ancient cities were usually placed upon large hills because that was a place where it could be fortified. It could be protected from enemies. It was able to be a stronghold as people were attacking it. And so Jerusalem and many of the cities in Israel that are still there are placed on this ridge line. And on the ridge, on both sides of it, go down to much, much lower elevations. If you go down to the east, you go down towards the Jordan River and you go down towards uh, the Dead Sea eventually. If you go to the west, you'll go towards the Mediterranean Sea. But the, the terrain is very rugged. And this is a picture of, of one of the ways that you can come up to Jerusalem now. And you see that there's a, a road there that's kind of a switchback. But imagine even if that road was not there and this was your process of getting somewhere by walking up this rugged terrain. As you came on this long journey and as you came up towards that and you had traveled for many days and at the last minute you saw your destination. Think about the relief you would have. Think about the joy that you would have knowing that everything you'd invested in this journey was about to come to fruition. Because for these people who were doing this journey, usually they would do it at least three times a year for Passover, for Pentecost, for the Feast of Tabernacles. When they came to Jerusalem, they believed they were coming to the presence of God. They believed that God was going to meet them there. And think about that. I don't think we always think about that when we come to church. You know, we don't always think like when I come to church, I'm expecting to meet God. I'm expecting for God to reveal himself to me. I'm expecting for his word to speak to me, for his spirit to be active in my life. But these people, this was this was heavy for them as they came. They even had to go through ritual cleanings outside of the temple to come inside to be worthy, to be in the presence of God. But he comes to this point. He's at this point that he looks up. On the hills, he lifts his eyes up and he sees the prize of his whole journey. He sees why he left his home, why he came. He sees the presence of God. And that provides great joy in his life. And this psalm is an overflow of that joy. So this morning, we're going to examine four promises of God in Psalm 21 so that we'll rightly look to God for our help in the year ahead. And we look at these four promises. It's four things that God is in and of himself. It's not four things for us to do. It's not four steps for us to take. But it's four reflections of the character and the nature of God that will provide the help that we need. The first one of these is that God is our helper. As we think about God being our helper, as you look back at verses 1 and 2, he says he lifts his eyes up to the hills. From where does his help come? It's a question, obviously, right? But the answer is given right there. His help, he knows, comes from the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth. As I was saying earlier, the presence of God was a sign of help for his people. 
When the nation of Israel was in the time where they were moving out of Egypt and into the land, they had the tabernacle built. And the tabernacle was where Moses would speak to God. The entire nation would encamp around that tabernacle because they knew that where God's presence was, blessings were. Where God's presence was, his provision was. He provided for them manna. He provided for them a cloud of fire, a pillar of fire that would guide them through the nights and a cloud that would guide them through the harsh days. He was there protecting and providing and accompanying his people. And as he did that, he was doing that to help his people as they sought to be near to him. And as they were doing that, they realized that God's works show that he's able to help his people. The name that's used here for the Lord, it says this help comes from the Lord. That's the covenant name of God. That's the name that, that's Yahweh. It's the name that God was giving to Moses at the burning bush. And that name carries significance because it shows the deliverance and the provision for the nation of Israel. But at the time that Moses spoke with God, he says, it's not just that I'm new right now, but I was also the God of your forefathers. I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob. And I still am that God. I'm the one who has made these promises, who can keep all of these things, who is able to do these things. And I'm the God who created the whole world. I'm the God who spoke it into existence. So whatever this traveler's problems are, he realizes he's just one person that God is providing for. If God can speak into existence the entire world and all of it that he sees and all the many things that he's never seen or experienced, then God can help him. If God can provide for the nation of Israel, deliver it from its greatest enemies, world powers of the time, do it in miraculous ways, do it in ways that the rest of the world would seem as foolish, then God can provide for whatever his need is that he comes to him with. And so as he reflects on that, as he sees Jerusalem, he realizes that he has a message to give to others. The rest of the psalm is him proclaiming what he knows God is and what he knows God is able to do. And it moves on to the fact that he realizes that God is our keeper. As you read through the psalm, you probably noticed the word keeper keeps is occurs quite frequently. It occurs five times in the last six verses. It's from the Hebrew word shamar, that verbal root. And that word means to observe something, to maintain it, to watch over it, to guard it. When I was in uh, high school and college, uh, there was a family at my church who owned a landscaping business. And the landscaping business was called Shamar Lawn and Landscaping. And several of my friends worked for that landscaping business. They would not only just design and put things into the yards, but then they would also maintain those. They would come back. They would take care of them. They would shovel snow. They would do lawn maintenance and trimmings and things like that. They were seeing the maintenance that it took place, the things that were necessary to take care of it. They were there, they were present, they were doing those things. And as you look at the ways in which God keeps his people in this psalm, it's interesting to reflect on how he explains that. If you look at verse 3, it says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. If you think about the fact that going back to that picture we saw of a person who's traveling, who's climbing that mountain, who's walking on those ridges and the rocks that are there, the loose gravel that's there, as you walk across those things, very easily your foot could slip and you slide back down and you've lost your progress. Possibly you've been injured. As you do that, you think about those types of things and he says, God's not going to let that happen to you because he doesn't sleep. He's not tired. 
Think about the man who's on that journey is going to be weary. He's going to be tired. He's going to want to bed. He's going to want to rest. But he's not tired. God's not tired. He's there with him to make sure that he doesn't slip. You know, possibly somebody in this service got a bike for Christmas, right? And when you get a bike for Christmas, maybe it has training wheels. Maybe you're a little past training wheels, but let's assume it has training wheels still, right? When your parents help you to ride that and take those training wheels off, they walk with you to make sure you don't slip. They walk with you to make sure that you're not discouraged by falling down because it will happen. If you just got on the bike and started riding, you're going to fail. But just like that parent or that older sibling is there alongside you, making sure you don't fall, he says, God is there with you. It signals to us that God is near to us. If God is going to keep your feet on the path it's supposed to be, God is close to you. He moves on and talks about how God is your keeper, the one who is protecting you, giving you shade. Think about how much of a benefit that would be, shade on a journey in the desert. If you think back to that picture, there weren't trees. There weren't really clouds in the sky to protect you. There were all of these different things that could be pressing down on him. But God is there providing for them, even in those situations. He's keeping them from all evil. He's protecting them. He's doing all of these different things because of who he is and what he desires. And when we think of God as our keeper, it demonstrates his desire to watch over our lives. He wants to be involved in our lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God actually wants to be involved in your life? Because I know, at least for me, there are times in my life where I feel like I am far from God. I feel like I've done something that makes it so that God doesn't want to be near to me. And in those times, you feel like I I have to do something to get back to God. I have to do something to get back close to God. But the promise is that God is near and you're the one who is not focused on that. It's in those times when we feel like God is far That we feel like God does not want us. That God is calling us to seek him even more. That God is calling us to draw closer to him. That God is calling us to trust in him. To trust in him as a gracious and merciful and loving God. To trust that he is the one who can do that. That he can draw us back into him. But we have to realize and recognize that he's never left our side. He's never moved on from us. Not because of anything that we've done. And that's the, that's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of mercy. Is that it, it's not us. It's not us. It's not our faults. It's not our sin. It's not all the different things that we fail at. But it's God. It's God who says, I'm here. I'll be with you. I'll walk with you. I realize you're not perfect. And that's okay. Because I have provided for you. And I have provided for your imperfection. So as he's talking about him as his keeper, it's, it's so much more than just God being there. Because of who God is. Because of what God promises in those things. Before the psalmist, God is our helper, God is our keeper, but he's also our protector. As you look back down at verse 5, it talks about the Lord being the keeper and he's the shade on your right hand. We already thought about the, the fact of this, this person who's traveling, he's journeying in the hot desert. That shade would be such a relief. It would be so great to just have the shade. You know, if you were here several weeks ago, we talked about Jonah and we walked through Jonah and how he was loving the shade that was provided by the, the, the vine that grew up and then how he was disappointed and, and despaired when it left. 
that that shade that's there it's such a relief in that time it's such a relief in that situation where there are no air conditioners there's not those misting fans there's not those things all along the pathway right it's you're out there you're in the wilderness you're traveling you're hot you're tired but the shade is also covering something specific in our passage it talks about covering the right hand the right hand was very important in ancient times most people in that time their strength was necessary for whatever their occupation was whether they were building whether they were a farmer whether they were a soldier their strength was who they were as a man and that was very important to them and so not to say that god wouldn't use left-handed people i shared in the first service god uses left-handed people ehud the left-handed warrior and judges he uses that left-handed person because of the people thought everybody would be right-handed so they didn't even check him for his sword his sword would have been on the opposite side he goes in he sneaks in infiltrates the enemy destroys their king and allows for the nation to be uh to be saved so those types of things god uses left-handed people that's not what this is saying it's saying that your right hand is symbolic of your strength and if someone is sitting at your right hand that position of honor that person has your back they're going to protect you they're there for you they're covering your strongest thing and if they're covering your strongest thing you're going to hope that they're stronger than you right you're going to hope that they're there for you and as you think about those types of things the psalmist realizes the strength that god has as he covers his right hand several other places in the psalm pick up on this metaphor psalm 109 31 says for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death god is present to provide for him in that situation psalm 110 5 says the lord is at your right hand he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath god has the power to shatter all of those empires that were coming up against the nation of israel and as that psalmist thinks about god providing that shade that comfort for his strength as he journeys that gives him encouragement that gives him those things because as he even lists there it's the shade protects him from several things first one is the sun is mentioned we know the dangers of the sun especially if you're fair-skinned like me you know if i go outside for too long if i'm at the beach too long it ends poorly you know it's uh, i'm not going to get tan it's just not going to happen best case scenario i'll add some freckles worst case scenario i'll be miserable for several days and so as you think about that that the sun we know the dangers of the sun right we know about heat stroke we know about um the sickness that can come from dehydration from being out and being exposed for too long we know those things they've known that for years you look back at many times and you see the pictures of people who are journeying they're, they're covered their faces as much of their body is covered while that would still be warm it was to protect them from the sun they didn't have sunscreen they didn't have those types of things so they were doing that to be protected from the sun which is symbolic of visible and known threats the known threats that were there the different dangers that he would come across in his journey he knew that god was protecting him from those but not just the sun it's interesting that he will protect him from the moon that's there at night he will protect him from the moon the moon being symbolic of invisible and unknown threats we know the moon has different effects on our tides and we know that the moon has different effects on on different things that have been observed but if you're to ask a teacher or if you're to ask somebody who works in law enforcement or somebody who works at an emergency room when there's a full moon strange things happen right and so that may not be what he's talking about here first per se but the people who were traveling in that time if they were out and exposed overnight 
with a large moon, inability to sleep would come, which would which would mess with their cognitive abilities and their ability to think straight. They could become delirious and disillusioned where they're going and possibly journey the wrong ways. And so there are different ways that those things are documented. But what happens with that moon being symbolic of the invisible and unknown threats is God will protect him from things he doesn't even know are out there. He doesn't even know what to look for as far as danger. But God is protecting him from those things. And I've seen that in my own life growing up in a strong Christian home. That my parents put things into my life to protect me from things that I had no idea were even dangerous. That I had no idea I even had to pay attention to. I appreciate the fact that they did that. But they were doing that because they had seen how God had provided for them to do that. Also, as he talks about the sun and the moon, those types of things, that's obviously a cycle of our day. That God is doing that protection at all times. While he's sleeping, while he's traveling, wherever he's at, God's protection is there. But as we think about that, it's not just that God protects, that he keeps, that he helps. But also the last part of the psalm focuses on how God sustains him. God keeps him as he goes in and as he comes back. As he leaves his home and as he returns, he is there for this traveler on his ventures. He's there walking with him as he leaves for his day, whatever his journey is. Whether it's a short journey, whether he's going out to his field, whether he's going out to work, uh, to build something, whatever he's doing, God is there as he leaves and protects him and sustains him, gives him what he needs for that day. As well as when he returns to his home, when he returns to his comforts, when he returns to a place where he's resting. And God is sustaining him and providing for him as he rests, as he seeks that rejuvenation, as he seeks the ability to just wind down and relax, to trust in God that God is going to provide what he needs for the next day. He's not have to be anxious about what is there, what is waiting, because God is sustaining him. Not just in that time, but both now and forevermore. He trusts that God's provision is great enough for his current day as well as all the way to eternity. And if you think about that, that tells us something very important that this psalmist believes. This psalmist believes that God possesses eternal life. Because in order for God to protect him for eternity, God has to be present and God has to be able to do that. I shared with the first service, if if I were to offer you a million dollars, most of you would probably not think much of that. Because you know that I don't have a million (laughs) dollars. And if I am going to offer you a million dollars, and you know I don't have a million dollars, you'll be like, oh, you know, that's so cute. Thanks so much. Hope you have a great day, you know. But if Donald Trump comes up to you or somebody else, you know, uh, Jason Hayward, who just signed that big contract and doesn't like St. Louis anymore, I guess. If he was to offer you that for some reason, he's got all that money, right? If he was to offer you that, he could give you a million dollars. You might be like, oh, hey, I'm interested now. What can I do for you? Is there anything I need to help to make this happen, to speed this along, right? Because if that person possesses it, they have the ability to give it to others. They have the ability to uh, see that come to fruition. Where I could try all I wanted, but unless I have somebody who's going to give me the million dollars, I can't give it to you, right? This psalmist understands that God can protect his eternity. Because God in and of himself is eternal. He doesn't rely upon anyone else for that. He doesn't have to get that from somebody else. He doesn't have to build up enough power to give that. Because of who he is, he has that. 
The psalmist knows he can trust in God for his eternity because God is eternal. And God is able to provide for his needs while in this life, as well as trusting that when he passes on, that God will continue to provide for his eternal needs. God will be there for him. So as this man is taking this journey, as he's traveling, as he's working through these different things, he's not reflected on the hardships of his journey. He's not reflected on the difficulties that lie ahead. He's not even thinking about, hey, what's happening back at home while I'm gone? While nobody's taking care of my field, while nobody's doing these different things. He's not worried about robbers or other evils that could be there. Because he's not focused on those things. He's not focused on difficulties. He's not focused on trials. He's focused on God. He's looking to God. He lifts his eyes up to God because he knows God will protect him. God will help him. Because of who God is. Not because of anything he's done, but because God is a helper. God wants to help him. He's focused so much on God that all of those trials, all of those concerns, they just melt away. And it's my prayer that 2016 would be a year where we don't focus on the difficulties. We don't focus on the hardships that we are anticipating. We don't focus on even the joys that we're anticipating because we don't want to be disappointed when those don't happen. But we focus on God. We recognize God is enough. We recognize God is there for us. And we invest in God. We invest in the people that God has given us in our lives. And we make that our focus for the next year. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that it has, the encouragement that it has, the way that it speaks to us as weak people, Father. That it speaks to us through other people in their situations. And we thank you for this traveler and for other travelers like him who have walked journeys of hardship. How they've been able to reflect upon your goodness, Father, and how they've been able to reflect upon the truth in your character, Father. And so we pray that as we anticipate this new year in 2016, with all of its unknowns, with all of its joys, with all of its hardships, with all of whatever you have in store for us, God, we pray that we would be focused on you, that we would be lifting our eyes to you, that we would marvel at your greatness, that we would marvel at your mercy, that we would marvel at your love, Father, that we would reflect and invest so much in that, Father, that whatever you have in store for us, we're ready for, God, because of who you are and because of who you desire to be in our lives. We pray right now as we take these offerings, as we give back to you as an overflow of the joy and the love that we have for you in our hearts, that you would be honored and glorified and that you would do your will with them, Father. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for each person who is here, who has heard your word. It's in your name we pray.